0: and welcome to Talking Aussie Books, a weekly podcast bringing readers and writers of Australian fiction together. I'm Claudine Tenellis. As an avid reader and passionate advocate for Australian fiction, I make it my mission to spotlight local talent. So if you're looking for your next read or simply want to learn more about the Australian literary scene, this podcast is for you. Grab yourself a cuppa, sit back and relax. This episode is brought to you by HarperCollins Australia. Recently I attended a literary evening hosted by HarperCollins Australia in Sydney at which four immensely talented authors were present and all of whom have new books soon to be published. One of these authors was Jane Harrison, an award-winning playwright and novelist as well as festival director whose work has been performed across Australia and internationally. Jane is descended from the Moorawari people and believes stories have the power to strengthen cultural connection. Jane's YA novel Becoming Kiralee Lewis won the Black and Right Prize in 2014 and that same novel was shortlisted for the 2014 Prime Minister's Literary Award and the Victorian Premier's Award. Jane's stage play, The Visitors, was performed to critical acclaim at the Sydney Festival back in 2020, and a Sydney theatre production of the same play is scheduled to occur in September 2023. But before that happens, HarperCollins will publish Jane's debut adult novel, inspired by her stage show, also called The Visitors. This is a book that reimagines a crucial moment in Australia's history from the point of view of our First Nations people a story that challenges our understanding of this event by revisiting the landing of the First Fleet in 1788 from the perspective of severed Aboriginal men, all of whom represent nearby clans. A stunning, evocative and thought-provoking novel, which I absolutely loved, and I'm thrilled to have the opportunity to speak with Jane about her book on the podcast today. Hi, Jane. Hello, Claudine. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. And I wanted to say formally congratulations on the novel and happy publication day. Yes, very exciting to see it in bookstores today. (laughs) Um, I can only imagine. So Jane, tell me how different is the experience of seeing this story make its way out into the world in novel form compared to the stage production? Is it more or less nerve wracking or just a different type of feeling altogether?
1: (laughs) In some ways, it's a little bit more nerve wracking because I think with theatre being so collaborative, you have the director and the cast and they're amazingly talented and you have the set design and the music and all those other elements that help tell the story. And so they take a lot of the attention of the audience and you get the response from the audience vicariously through the actors but the book is really so much more intimate and personal there's nothing between you and the reader it's there on the page and it's a very intimate relationship I think so in some ways yeah it's a little scarier
0: yeah and I guess you don't get that immediate gratification of knowing whether or not they're enjoying it
1: that's right yes you can't feel the room as you do in the theatre but in other ways of course that means that the book has a longer life
0: and can be shared around and yeah. So Jane, when you wrote The Visitors, did you always hope it would become a novel one day or was that something you'd never imagined? I
1: really set out in 2011 to write the stage play and that was my main focus for many years but I was frustrated by the lack of attention it received from theatre companies. It kept being shortlisted for productions and then failing to secure that spot in a season and so I thought I will have more success probably writing the novel version than I will getting this play produced. But then at the same time, Mughal and Theatre took it on board in 2020 and did the production. By that stage, I'd already sent off my sample, you know, synopsis and sample chapters to my agent and she put it out to pitch. And so I got a contract to write
0: the book. Fantastic. So look, obviously writing for the stage is a different proposition to writing prose, but I can certainly see in the novel and in its structure how the story might appear on the stage. Can you walk us through the process of adapting the play to becoming the novel and what challenges you came up against, if any? There were plenty of challenges.
1: I'm used to writing dialogue predominantly. Directors don't like it if you do set stage directions in a play script. And so I'm always very careful to do a minimum of stage directions. In the book, I had the challenge of turning 15,000 words into 65,000 words. And so that meant going much deeper into the characters, their backstory, the places that they, communities that they came from, their environment, the weather conditions, the animals. And I did lots of research into the geographic area to sort of enrich the script really with those descriptions. And I guess that was a little bit of a challenge for me as a playwright to do that, but I enjoyed it at the same time time.
0: Yeah, I can only imagine. I want to talk a little bit more about that kind of you know, detail and that research that you did a little bit later. And I know I gave an outline of what the novel was about in my introduction, but for the benefit of listeners, could you tell us more about the story? Sure. So in 1788,
1: January 26, 11 boats of the First Fleet arrived in Sydney Cove and they came one after the other. So over a period of time. And of course, the boats had already arrived in Botany Bay quite a few days before and the conditions there weren't suitable for a settlement. So they moved around to Sydney Cove. And so that gave me time in my imagination for seven Aboriginal people of the surrounding nations to come together in a meeting to decide what their response will be to these 11 ships. Will they send them on their way because they think they've got the warriors and the weaponry to be able to do that, or will they allow them to land and therefore welcome them to country? And so it's really like a boardroom situation where these seven men sit around and discuss. They've got their experiences of Cook's visit in 1770, 18 years before, and what happened then? They've got their observations of the men on the boats that they're, you know, watching at the time, and they've got their own biases and opinions, and so, and they each have a their own philosophy of life, I guess, um, and they've got their own set of knowledges as well, and so they bring that to the discussion. So one of them's the philosopher, one of them is the engineer, one of them's a bureaucrat. The medicine man, etc. So they all have their own. You know, it's unusual in a book to have seven protagonists, especially all men. I had to make them fully realized characters, and they discuss, and they debate, and there's conflict, and there's moments of humor as well. That was really important to me to have those moments. And they have to come to a unanimous decision about their response. And of course, time is ticking on because the 11 boats are arriving and soon that there's smaller boats in the water and they're coming towards them.
0: Jane, this is an incredibly significant event in Australia's history with repercussions that still have significance for all Australians today. So I wanted to ask you, how did you come to begin writing the play in the first place? What was your thought process? Well, I think January 26th, is not understood
1: in terms of the greater society. I think there's a lot of confusion about it. Some people think it's when Cook arrived. Other people think it's got something to do with the First World War. I think that the events of that day, as you say, are really significant to you know both black and white. And I think it's worth unpacking and understanding a little bit more about what might have happened. And of course, this is a reimagining. We don't have the First Nations perspective because we are an oral culture. And so I wanted to imagine what they were thinking and feeling and how they were reacting. And yeah, I, I think it's just a really important day that we need to understand as a country. It's our shared history, both black and white. And we need to understand it. I once read that every country has an issue that they haven't quite come to terms with and I believe for me it's colonisation in Australia. We still haven't really come to terms with that from and it's interesting that the voice uh, will be, referendum date will be announced today as well because I think that's a, a part of us as a country maturing and looking at these issues and deciding we want to do things differently in the future.
0: Why do you think January 26 is so misunderstood? Why don't people know more about what this means?
1: That's a really interesting question. I think it's been hijacked and in fact I think the Australia Day celebrations are really only since about the early 90s. I think Australia Day came into being more recently and the day had different connotations earlier in our history. It's funny, when I wrote the play Stolen and took it over to London, the London journalists were much more inquiring about how Stolen Generations had come about. And I think in Australia, we're a little bit defensive about our history. And we don't want to consider things like that there was a frontier war and that Aboriginal people were displaced. It it doesn't fit with our idea of a country that looks after the underdog so that inequality i think is really something that we're in denial about
0: nobody who is alive today was directly responsible for any of those events yeah, i just don't understand that defensiveness
1: yeah it's about looking at things and thinking for yourself as well i'm not trying to tell people how to think or feel i just want to show that from show that event from first nations perspective and so that we can walk for a little while in those shoes
0: yeah indeed and you've absolutely done that i would be very interested to see the play and make a comparison with the novel events and the way in which you've depicted the seven aboriginal men who gather at warraine on this particular day Uh, warraine also being the area referred to as sydney cove but each of these men were distinct characters and as you mentioned before they each had their own biases and they each had their own specialties things that they were good at So I wondered, did you have real people in mind while you were writing these men?
1: That's an interesting question, because in fact, I did have real people in mind. Because when I began to write the play, seven characters was quite daunting to write. And I thought to make it easier on myself, I will actually cast it with actors in mind. And so I did that early on. And then I was much more able to flesh out those characters in the script and in fact, I often tell the story that Grandfather Joseph's character was based on the beloved Uncle Jack Charles. I think you can see resonances of his beautiful character in Joseph. Yeah, so that made it much easier. And, of course, play hasn't been cast. That was way back in 2011 and things have moved on and we've got a fine bunch of new actors now. And, in fact, the play has two women in it, so it's not seven men in this new production.
0: Oh, that's fascinating. Was there a particular reason for doing that? I think there
1: was a little bit of pushback from the Aboriginal community about uh, the leadership role of women in the community. And naturally, I wasn't saying that women aren't leaders. There are a lot of matriarchal clans around and women take a very important role. But my initial impetus was to write something for the men because I started it post- the Northern Territory intervention and I think Aboriginal men at that time in particular were being demonised. So I wanted to write something for the men.
0: You referred to the fact that there is much humour in this novel and I feel that that humour can be attributed to the unique voices of the seven men and obviously I have no idea how Aboriginal men at that time would have spoken but to hear the modern vernacular in the context of this story made what is a life-changing history-making event feel lighter somehow or less threatening, even though it was none of these things. So I'm guessing this was intentional. And were you conscious of trying to bring levity to this tale?
1: Yes, I think, you know, I tend to write about heavy subjects, stolen generations, you know, inequality, racism, those kind of themes. And I'm always conscious of the fact that within the Aboriginal community, especially humour is a tool of survival. And it's a really important part. Whenever you get a Aboriginal groups of people together, there's always laughter and joshing and teasing that's going on. And I sort of wanted to thread that throughout the story. And again, not to minimise the events, but just to bring that lighter touch. They would have been joking when they got together. They, they would have had their uh, moments of humor so yeah i wanted to respect that lines like middens weren't built in a day and uh, curiosity killed the echidna and the like so that was fun yeah
0: yeah i absolutely love that you know there there was some laugh out loud moments just in terms of how you adapted modern day speech to what was essentially a very old scenarios i absolutely loved that i thought it was just so clever thank you As you mentioned, Jane, all day the men argue back and forth about their proposed response to the visitors, and I was surprised, probably as much as they were, about the diversity of opinion and how they should proceed in the face of such a number of strangers landing on their shores. Are there stories that you have drawn on to inform these differing opinions, or was this just your imagination gone wild?
1: Well, I was also heavily influenced by the play Twelve Angry Men, and so, and that's a courtroom drama, and there's one a juror who's interrogating the other's beliefs and opinions and so my character Walter is that person who's interrogating the others and wanting them to think differently and think more deeply about this you know he says we should take a day to consider it's only a day and their lives might be at risk and so yeah I I just wanted to show, you know, Aboriginal people are not a homogenous group of people who all think and feel the same. We can see that with the voice referendum, that there's a variety of opinions within the community. And so, yeah, I, you know, I thought that was really important. And again, it humanizes those men. They're not noble savages. They're not too distant from us. They're human beings with their, you know, opinions, their biases, their idiosyncrasies and the like.
0: And I was so interested to read that you had them dressed in suits and button-up shirts, but each of their individual expression of those items of clothing was peculiar to their characters. And I love that. So why did you have them dressed in modern clothing?
1: Yeah, again, I two reasons, really. I wanted to mess with people's heads. <laughs> so that's always fun to do as an author. But again, when I envisaged the stage play, I thought, I don't want these men naked or near naked. They're going to be seen as heathens, the noble savage. They're going to be seen as uncivilized. And I wanted to show, in fact, they were really civilized. They had their rules, their protocols, their ways of living from time immemorial. And I wanted to show them as kind of senior senators almost representing these clans and so I thought of Paul Keating in his Italian suits and I thought that's how I'm going to dress my men.
0: I absolutely loved that part of the story, it was so clever. Oh good,
1: I'm glad. You know my publisher wasn't sure whether that was the right way to go about it but I was pretty insistent that I wanted to include it.
0: Jane, you also mentioned these men were civilised men, that they had rules and they had customs and, you know, there were very clear hierarchical aspects to the society that they represented. And I, I particularly loved this. It was this infusion of Aboriginal customs and beliefs. And you gave us insight into a variety of topics from marriage and kinship to hunting and food preferences of different clans, sorry business, women's business and, and initiation customs and ceremonies. I think these details gave a richness to the story and also gave me a deeper understanding of Aboriginal people's connection to country and the devastation ultimately wrecked on the land by the arrival of the Europeans. Can you tell us more about that and why it was important to the story that you wanted to tell?
1: Mm, Thank you. I think to really set the scene pre-1788, I needed to I research all of those things, the customs, the mores, the protocols, and get a sense of how they were living and again that sense of how civilized they were, you know that they weren't heathens, that they had beliefs and were very strong about following those beliefs. and so that was, again, yeah, that was just a really fascinating part of the research that I did and of course I had to imagine some of that. so yeah, I I think it was just important for me to really go in deeply to describe their way of life and their belief systems and how they interrelated as different mobs, how the land looked after them and how their totems informed how they dealt with the natural world. Yeah, it was just part of giving the story depth and richness.
0: It absolutely did that. And it also just, it made me, I mean, I did understand how how complex and laid Aboriginal society was, but it definitely gave me more insight into that, which I so very much appreciated. I thought it was wonderful. Thank you. The other thing that I loved about this story, Jane, was the foreboding that you managed to inject with the impending storm. There was a metaphorical and literal storm coming, neither of which could have been avoided. But I'm embarrassed to admit that I have got to my age in life and never heard of a mammatus cloud. (laughs) Yes. Have you Googled them? I have. They're very beautiful. They are incredible. And obviously I have seen them, but I didn't actually have a name for them. But I was so very interested to know why you chose those clouds to describe the Mm -hmm. storm that was coming.
1: Yes. Well, rain precipitation doesn't come with mammatus clouds. It actually comes later with cumula, cumulonimbus clouds. That <laughs> I've of heard of. <laughs> <laughs> as one of the characters says in the book. Yeah, I just thought, they, again, I'm quite a visual person and some of those visual elements of the weather and the landscape I really wanted to bring into the story. I actually had a little bit of artistic licence because I looked up the weather on that particular day in the accounts of the first fleet and it wasn't quite as hot as I portrayed it and the storm came later. The storm actually came when the boats unloaded the women and a huge storm broke out and mayhem actually happened on shore. The marines the next morning pulling convicts out of the women's tents, one after the other. So absolute bedlam, which would have horrified the Aboriginal people if they were watching, I imagine. But yeah, I wanted to use all those elements of the weather as a kind of portent for what's happening, as you said, a sort of a a metaphorical storm coming. And likewise, with the cold that Lawrence catches, it was interesting in 2020, when the play was performed. That was just before COVID. Life was imitating art, really.
0: It is also interesting to get a a flavour of how disease ripped through the Aboriginal community so quickly, like wildfire. Yes, absolutely. Jane, this was such a powerful read on so many levels, but if there was one thing you would like readers to take away from the visitors, what would it be? Mm. (laughs) Well, I leave it up to the readers to draw
1: their own conclusions and make their own opinion, but I really just wanted to give people an insight into the richness of Aboriginal culture and how, you know, I've used the term, the last words in the book were we once lived in paradise, was that effect. And I kind of think it might not, I don't want to be too romantic about Life, because there would have been conflicts, there would have been heartache, there would have been pain and suffering as well. But Aboriginal people did have a sophisticated way of interacting with the natural world and with each other. And they did live in harmony for tens of thousands of years. And I guess I just want to give readers
0: a sense of that. So let's talk about the stage production. I know we touched on it a little bit earlier, but I wondered um, if you could tell listeners where, when and how people can see it if they're interested.
1: Sure. The stage production opens on the 11th of September at the Opera House, uh, has a five-week season there. It's a co-production between Sydney Theatre Company and Moggallan Performing Arts. And then it has a very short tour. It goes to Parramatta, Wollongong, Canberra, and Geelong. And then next year, there will be a bigger regional tour to many parts of Australia. So I'd love people to come along and see the production. It'll be quite different from the 2020 production. As I said, we've got female performers in the cast, and they've actually used quite a lot of language. They've woven language, the Durrick language into the production as well so it'll be quite different.
0: Yeah fantastic and how involved are you in the stage production Jane?
1: Well I have a long-standing relationship with the director we've worked together for 30 years now so he directed my very first play and so I have a lot of trust in him Wesley Enoch incredible director and I went to the first three days of Rehearsals. So I got to meet the cast and answer their questions. And we did a few cultural things in those days. And then my kind of approach is to really leave it to the director and the actors to do what they do best and to bring it to life. You know, the play script is a blueprint and they're the ones that build that world for us to enjoy. Yeah, I leave it to them. I have a lot of faith and trust. And I have an opera opera version of it coming out as well in October, Victorian opera are doing the visitors. Oh my God.
0: That's amazing. (laughs) Jane, you might know that there are lots of writers that listen to this podcast and I often ask authors for tips and given your experience writing in different genres, do you have any pearls of wisdom to offer aspiring Mm, authors out there?
1: Pearls of wisdom. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I really love writing character. So for me, it's about uh, making those characters as anti-stereotypical as possible. It's about giving them contradictions and finding ways that they can change and grow as people. Even my character Gordon in the, the book, who doesn't budge a lot for most of the story, does change at the end. And so I think it's about, yeah, just trying to make those characters as three-dimensional and as human as possible, whatever techniques you use. Give them, you know, quirks and idiosyncrasies.
0: Jane, if listeners wanted to learn more about you and your work, where can they find you?
1: Ah, I don't have a website. I'm one of those rare old-fashioned writers that don't. I should pull one together. (laughs) I have a Wikipedia page. I'm on LinkedIn. So, yeah, I think they're the best places to to find me.
0: Are there any other novels on your horizon?
1: Uh, interesting question. I was offered a two-book deal and I was so overwhelmed by the thought of writing my first one that I didn't take up that offer. I'm currently working on two other plays. I have a commission from Sydney Theatre Company. And I think that'll take up a little bit of my time. I also run a festival called Black and Bright First Nations Literary Festival, and that'll happen in March 2024. So I'm working very hard on that, and that takes up, that's my day job. So I've got a follow-up novel to becoming Curly Lewis. It's, that novel was set in uh, 1985, and I've done the story 20 years later with the Kiralee character, now a mother herself to a 17-year-old. So that's kind of, I think, 50,000 words down the track. So that should be the next one out.
0: That's a lot (laughs) on your plate. (laughs) A little bit, yes. Jane, I wanted to say congratulations once more on The Visitors. It's an incredible book that I recommend every Australian read. Thank you so very much for joining me on Talking Aussie Books today. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. That's a wrap, folks. If you enjoyed this podcast episode, please drop me a line via my webpage at claudientinellis.com via Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. Alternatively, consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. Until next time, happy reading.